You are listening to Nerd Best Friends, a podcast where two knuckleheads can't keep their nerdiness to themselves. Ew. This is Nerd Best Friends episode four. We are talking about Kickstarter today. This is Annalise and I'm here with my best friend, Rob. Hey, Annalise, it's Rob. Very wonderful to be recording another episode of Nerd Best Friends with you. And today we've got an exciting episode. Like you said, Kickstarter, one of my other nerdy hobbies and perhaps my greatest detriment. <laughs> a little bit of both. You have definitely told me stories of it has a quite the impact on other nerdy things that we are both into. So I'm excited to talk about Kickstarter a little bit deeper and maybe learn a little bit from you who has much more experience. Also want to thank our listeners for coming back for another episode as we talk about more nerd conversations. So Rob, you wanted to start our episodes now with something new, something... That's right. Alert. New New alert. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead and and tell us what it is you want to start our episodes with. So I mentioned, I think, when we were going through our different nerddoms in maybe the pilot episode that I'm also a craft beer nerd. That is another one of my hobbies that I like to do is run around to different breweries in every town and city I visit and see what they've got going on and try different things. I love strong hoppy beers. I love beers that have punny names. I love looking at the cool art that uh, happens on labels and all the different places that you can get them. So I will, I will share that I am on untapped and would be happy for some listener follows and I'll definitely follow you back so you can see what's going on and what we're drinking. My untapped name is Robo22, R-O-B-O-22. So you can friend me on untapped. And if you too are a craft beer nerd, we can nerd out about that. So the new feature is the craft beer of the episode. Very good. Today, I decided to start with a staple of the craft beer community, an underrated beer, in my opinion, Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. They are an independent brewery out of Chico, California. One of the things that I like about them, besides their great tasting beer, is that they are a completely independent brewery. They are a family-owned brewery. Started in the 1970s up there, and they uh, continue to uh, work towards carbon neutrality in their brewing and bottling plants with solar and wind power and recycling and all kinds of different initiatives that they've started there. So if you are a listener who has not seen that familiar green label of Sierra Nevada, next time you're in the store, give it a try. Right on. Enjoy your pale ale as we go through our episode. I am also a fan of the punny names, although the punnier the name, the hoppier the beer tends to be, and I just cannot get into IPAs, although I will taste them at least so I can tag it on on untap. Okay. Nerd corrections? Nerd corrections from last episode's. Last episode, I was making the point when we were talking about movies and we were talking about special effects, and I was making the point that there were markers along the timeline where things in special effects and things in movies changed. And I brought up two movies specifically, Jurassic Park and The Matrix, both of which I still definitely believe that they were pioneers and game-changing special effects teams. But 
those movies did not come out at the same time. One was in the <laughs> early 90s, Jurassic Park came out in 1993, where The Matrix was in 1999. And somehow in my head, I was like, oh, 1999, when the 90s ended, everything changed. But Jurassic Park actually, I believe, started that roller coaster. That's actually right. And I, I kind of remember thinking about that while we were doing the episode, but it uh, clearly not enough to to think about it on the spot. So that's a, that's a good correction. And for the listeners to realize what was intended to be episode two ended up being a really great conversation that we split it up to episode two and three 80s t- movies and then TV. So Rob is referring to episode two, where we talked about movies uh, from the 1980s and 90s. So that was one of those conversations that gets you in trouble. So if we kind of go back to our premise of the nerd best friends are sitting around the comic book and game store having conversations, that was one of those that made me get home late or made me forget to pick up my kid because it went on three times as long as it should have. Yes, absolutely. And that's what makes this podcast fun. What we're actually really hoping is these conversations continue with you and your friends and that you all engage with us and say, no, nerd Jurassic Park isn't the best movie 1993. This is and and give us some feedback and some some conversation to continue. So it's just going to be another opportunity for nerd corrections. Do it. Did Titanic also come out in 1993? Titanic did not. Titanic came oh. out around... 97. Oh, really? I can refer that to my freshman year in college. I remember there was some kind of battle between Jurassic Park and Titanic, but it could have been some kind of like box office money battle. Oh, absolutely. Jurassic Park had made a certain amount and Titanic scales and then Titanic. Yes, 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 absolutely. They were still made within a couple of years of each other. So, and you could also talk about Titanic being a little bit different. In, in the genre, we won't go into it too deeply. That's not what this episode is about. The whole idea of, of being ridiculously accurate with the film itself, down to the detail of what the spoons look like and the timeline. And there's actually some scenes in that movie you can pause and look through a book of pictures from the Titanic and and they are mirror images. James Cameron did a good job about that while infusing. And then we went to 99 and we had the Matrix the and Matrix, he found yeah. out there is no spoon. Great connection there. There are no spoons. And we are talking today about Kickstarter. So Kickstarter started in 2009 with the intention to allow maybe lesser known artists to be funded for their projects, particularly useful in the early years of Kickstarter for movie projects or television projects, projects that weren't getting funded. What comes to my mind when I think about the early years of Kickstarter is Veronica Mars, I think was the first time I heard about Kickstarter being a thing. And that was everyone know of it as everyone may or may not know a popular television show that was trying to make a movie and the studios dumped it and people that were producing it went to Kickstarter and actually raised enough money to have that movie made and released somewhere around 2012 few years into Kickstarter, the gaming community started to build some momentum. And in 2012, gaming Kickstarter projects rose from being ranked about eighth in terms of projects funded to second overall in Kickstarter. And I think it's something around the lines of $48,000 in 2009 to over $50 million pledged in 2012. So it took a significant jump. And when they talk about gaming, they're actually talking about video gaming, online gaming and board gaming, any type of gaming, then went to 2018 and became the top gainer on Kickstarter with over $200 million pledged. And at that point, the end of of 2018, over 3 million people had backed a game of some sort on Kickstarter. 
you know Kickstarter, Rob, much more intimately than I do. Tell me about some some of your experiences and how long you've been backing games. Well, Kickstarter, there's no doubt the numbers uh, the numbers definitely do tell the story here. And Kickstarter has revolutionized the games industry. It's, it's absolutely was disruptive. There are good arguments and bad arguments uh, against that. But Kickstarter was appealing to me for some of the reasons that that you stated as its intent, right? It was there to help the little guy. It was there to let people kind of take control of their own destiny, which is always one of the things that I think is the most important thing about the internet is the opportunities that everyone has, right? We don't have to pitch a show and write scripts and go to a bunch of meetings and invest a bunch of money in order to publish our conversations and make a show. We can do it ourselves thanks to the internet, right? Right. Everybody gets a voice. We've torn down the gatekeepers, all this kind of things. And Kickstarter, that was the intent when it came out was for independent creators, for people who want to get different patents and these kinds of things. I was just looking to see if I could find the date of my first Kickstarter. Looks like March 2013 was when I started backing things on Kickstarter. And I had heard about it from things like local musicians or independent artists that were, oh, you know, we want to stay independent. We want to get our album made. So we're renting studio time and we're hiring um, studio musicians. And to offset the cost, we'll crowdfund the album and so we'll make this album you'll raise the money if you buy the physical cd and you open up to the back little jacket your name will be there there's like a list of hundreds of names of people in there and then as i was you know messing around on kickstarter oh my gosh there's a bunch of board games on here a bunch of board games i've never heard of and what's going on so therein lied the deep spinning black hole of the kickstarter (laughs) abyss that i launched into I have backed to this point 142 Kickstarter projects. Wow. Okay. My, my shelves are full. What was what you, I should have okay. said what your guess was. I would have <laughs> never came even close to a hundred if I if I had guessed how many. I probably would have said maybe 60, 75, 142 is impressive, man. 142. Uh boy. <laughs> many, many board games, but also. The algorithm of Kickstarter, and you'll find out as soon as you back your first Kickstarter and you start getting the updated emails, at the bottom of those emails, there's always a like, projects you might be interested in. And man, does that algorithm have my number because I'm always interested in at least one of those. <laughs> they got and you. It, <laughs> they've got me because it could be another game, but I've backed a number of things, tech little you know tech gadgets small tech gadgets like usb desk fans that you know somebody put together a compelling video as to why their patented desk fan would be something i'd want to buy and the price is always pretty low to larger tech things like there is a 3d printer running behind me that i got on kickstarter things like artists and their albums and things i I backed things like that as well but the majority 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 is the tabletop gaming industry and oh man if it's got miniatures if it's got little plastic dudes you've got me (laughs) i'm in what i find really interesting about this as we've talked about it and we've prepped for today's show is kickstarter took 
maybe what was known as the infomercial as we were growing up and has made it and packaged it in a way where people feel like they have a little bit more invested in the product before it's a product, right? Because I think about somewhere around 2009, I totally bought this thing called the Q grill and it was spaceship looking and, and it was a little grill we ended up taking to a couple events and barbecuing with, but it wasn't like I went to the store or went to a website to buy this. It was, it was like this crowdfunding type without it being known as crowdfunding where you are investing in these kids who went to, I don't remember which college at this point, and they created this thing and they're going to produce it. It looks like it's going to work and buy it now while they're still making it. And before it goes on, like it really sold it as the next level in- infomercial. Whereas with an infomercial, that product's already made and they're selling it for pure profit at that point. Kickstarter really kind of turned things on its head and took that idea of supply and demand and made it demand to supply. So they really turned a lot of industry on its head. Yes, that's a really great way of putting it. If you haven't backed a Kickstarter, this is the way it usually goes. You are looking around on Kickstarter or somebody sends you a link and you go to the page and at the top of the page, there's there's a video. And this is a very important part of your Kickstarter because in this little three minute video, you've got to tell your story. You got to tell what your product does and talk about how great it will be if you get in on the Kickstarter level, because it'll never be cheaper or it will never be produced again. Or, you know, eventually when it does hit stores, you'll have all the extras, all what all the benefits are. Then you decide where you're going to and how you're going to back the Kickstarter, how much money you're going to pledge to it to get what you want to get out of it. And then the part of it that is kind that is the fun part, the hobby part of it is for the next year or so of them producing this product, you keep getting these updates and these pictures. And sometimes they'll send you little questionnaires or, oh, we're trying to decide on the color of this and this. Here's a mock-up. Which one do you like? And you can vote for it. And you kind of feel like you're part of that team when you get the pictures and then And then that magical day where you start getting the pictures of big cardboard boxes coming off of, you know, giant container barges from overseas. It's like, our stuff is in there. Number 100368 has our boxes in it. And then that magical day when you've forgotten about whatever it was, and then it arrives at your door. And it's like Christmas all the time. Your Kickstarter comes in. So you just posted something to your Instagram recently. Uh, Uh Was that a Kickstarter project that was delivered? Absolutely. You are referring to Bones 5, which is actually a good springboard to kind of the next part of the conversation. Reaper minis have been around forever. Reaper has been around, gosh, since I was a kid. If there is such a thing as a big miniature company, (laughs) like (laughs) it's not a huge industry comparatively to real industries, right? Like they're not making TVs or iPads, but they are one of the they're one of the more well-known names, right? Okay. They're probably up there in the top five. But rather than them making their sculpts and releasing them to just stores where they would ship them out to like, game stores or they have a couple of hubs in different states where it's just like a Weaver miniature store and things like that, they took their business to Kickstarter. And they're not alone in that. A lot of sort of these medium-sized established companies have gone to this crowdfunding method as well. So it has moved away from its original intent somewhat where this isn't the little guy trying to fund something. This is a company that already has staff, you know, staffs of people, sculptors, painters, professional designers, all this kind of thing. But 
they are able to offset their cost of production, which is always a gamble for things like tabletop miniatures and tabletop games. Because okay. in traditionally, you produce as many as you think the market will bear. You make a bunch of deals with distributors and ship them out everywhere. And then you just wait and you wait. And if you've ever been to a comic book store or a game store, you can look on those shelves and you'll see miniatures on the back corkboard thing just right. covered with dust. That company has not made any money off of that since... Right. 1993 when they sculpted that particular model but with the kickstarter it's all up front and because they're not shipping to stores and because particularly with reaper they don't package it the stuff comes just in plastic bags it doesn't have the cardboard backing and the blister pack and all the the artwork yeah okay nope you just get the stuff as it's coming off the factory floor organized into simple boxes or bags which makes the cost to collectors and to gamers like me who get on there, the benefit is we save some money and we get it all at the same time. So you brought up two things that I want. I want to, me being very novice and maybe some listeners that are very novice to Kickstarter. So one of the things is risk. So what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is that Kickstarter helped minimize risk for companies to not have to take a gamble and print out 500,000 of this. They have the backing to create the product and they'll make however much more beyond. That way we could absolutely see a product that you have backed on Kickstarter. I'm trying not to use the word purchase because you're not actually purchasing is my understanding. You are backing a project. So the, there With is the a company like Reaper. It's a purchase. They're okay. You know, they've, they've set themselves up because they're an established company where they fund on day one. Sometimes they can brag about we funded in under an hour. So, you know, by that point, if it's already, if you've, if they've already covered their cost as far as made their goal, then if you get in late, you have that assurance as a, as a backer, you have that assurance that it's actually going to happen. Yeah. Get it. Okay. Um, But yes, for the company, a company like that, they have eliminated a lot of the risk. So a a company that's more well-known and I back this product, it's a reputable company that's been around for a very long time. I know I'm going to receive that product. There's also a likeliness that I walk into a store and see that product on the shelves because I imagine they're going to sell it with the full package as well as via the Kickstarter that started it. The risk on the other side of the end for someone like me jumping on, there are some products that don't ever get made, even though they are fully funded, right? Like when you back a product, unless you're assured because it is a a well-known company that you follow, or you have backed projects from this company before and they've not fallen through as a backer, just like an investment in the, in the stock market, you are taking a risk on whatever that backing funding level that you choose that the product itself may not actually be completed. Am I I right on that? Yes. And there uh, is another benefit of it. If the product does not meet its funding goal. So I see, let's see, here's, I've, I've got my list of which ones were like canceled and things like that. Oh, this was a cool thing. It was called the side click where it was a TV remote and it had a little space for your Apple TV remote. So you take your Apple TV remote and you shunk, insert it into a universal TV remote. So both of your remotes are now one remote and you don't have to keep like looking around and losing that little tiny sliver of a silver Apple TV thing sliding down your couch. What a cool idea. It's only 15 bucks. Absolutely. Click. I back. That one did not meet its funding goal. It didn't okay. have 
the looks or whatever. So I was never charged. It just uh, never okay. happened. And it's on my list as an unsuccessful Kickstarter. Okay. Out of my 142, there have been a few that have been disappointed where they have reached their funding goals. Often the reason is because they far exceed their funding goals. And these are for these small time, you know, somebody with an idea who thought they could put it out there. And sometimes if they catch on just right with the tabletop and gaming industry, it will explode beyond their expectations and they don't know how to deal with it. So I've got a handful that I have backed. They have funded, they have charged me and the updates, you know, oh, thank you. We're doing so well. And this is how things are going. And then the updates turn to, I'm so sorry. This is taking so long. The volume is too big. I'm just one guy working on my machines in my basement. Uh, da, 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 da. So there have been some disappointments there where people will, will end up because of the volume, it ended up costing them more than they had funded, or they just have to cancel and offer to send you your money back, or they'll give you a consolation. Yes, I know everybody back different levels or whatever. I can't do it. I'm going to send everybody on the list a thing. There's some failures there. Almost always, it's not because somebody was doing anything nefarious. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this thing, collected all the money. I went, oh, just kidding, and changed their email address, right? It's, okay. it's almost always because they were hobbyists, they were amateur game designers, and they got too big and got caught up with the logistics and couldn't meet what they needed to meet. And what it sounds like is of your 162, you're talking about gaming, miniatures, nerd wise and also nerd gadget wise so you have a healthy mix so that 162 for you actually makes a little bit more sense considering that wide range of types of items i will say as someone who is a novice board gamer as well and what i mean by that is i grew up playing your your typical family board games like monopoly and the game of life and sorry and shoots and ladders but when we talk about board gaming now we're talking about more of these fantasy themed multiple layers of games multiple layers of storylines you you could play one over and over and either never finish it or have a different set of outcomes because of the way that the games are designed. A lot of people will define those as luxury games. Okay. Right? So okay. you've got your traditional games like Trouble, which is try not to be too much of a board game snob. I know I am. I love the game Trouble with the Pop-O-Matic bubble. It was fun. It's, a, it's still a great way to kill 45 minutes. Then when we talk about the games... The game comes in a box that weighs 20 pounds and it costs $150. So a lot of people would define that as a luxury board game. Okay. But beyond the, that luxury comment, we're talking about games that are pretty complex and they're complex and they are multi-layered is the best best way I can explain them. They can somewhat be like a choose your own adventure book in that the decision you make in the game can alter how the game ends. Those games can be pretty intimidating to someone who didn't grow up or have a lot of experience playing them. What I like about Kickstarter, especially if you are like me and hesitant to invest without knowing, I don't know the names of some of these more popular companies. I wouldn't have known the name of the miniature company left from right because that's not been the nerd game I've been in. What I like is the companies or the people or the groups asking for backing have done a very good job in 
Here's a video of the box being unpacked. This isn't the final version of it. Here's this. This is what it all looks like. Some of the more advanced ones, maybe even if they're going for extended funding because the first one did so well and they want to make the game bigger, they will have some video available of a sample play. So you can kind of see. And, uh, you know, we, I took a train ride with my partner recently and this is not kicks. Well, actually Exploding Unicorns was a Kickstarter project. It was one of the big ones in the recent years. And there's a couple of games off of that. And I bought one of them, I don't know, at Target or something before we went on this train ride. And I'm sitting there trying to read these instructions and really like I was able to just pop on my phone when we had internet and watch the backers play or not the backers, the the people trying to sell it. That Kickstarter video was still available on YouTube and watched a gameplay and went, oh, this is how you play the game. So as someone who's not as experienced gamer, it's been it's been really nice to, to just look around on Kickstarter and see games that I might be interested in based off of what they're able to show to potential backers. And traditionally, those types of games would they would have gone to your comic book store, your game store, and they would have sat on a shelf. And the only information you would have been able to get on it is if you happen to like the box art, pick it up, flip it over you know, look at what might be in there and a little bit of a description, which isn't great. It, you know, it's it's not great. And including that Exploding Unicorns game, that game maybe never would have been made. Or if right. it had been made, it would have been sitting collecting dust on shelves in game stores, you know, across the nation. But I bet you it's because of how successful it was on Kickstarter and how many backers it got that they were able to make that target deal and get right. on a target shelf. And you make a, you made a really good point that there's a likeliness that a game like that would never have been made because you needed the money and the backing and you needed to convince the people with the money to back your product pro- product or project. I mean, there's a whole show called Shark Tank built on that premise, right? right? And actually, Shark Tank is interesting if we sidetrack for a quick second, because you'll have people on Shark Tank who succeeded on Kickstarter, became popular enough that then they need the bigger investment to then get them to target, to then get them on store shelves, to get them on QVC or whatever's next. So it's really interesting to hear if you ever watch that show to hear those, oh, we made X amount on three Kickstarter fundings and this is how many we've sold and this is where we're at. So Kickstarter's definitely been very helpful for the people who may not have ever gotten backing for a game or an idea. So there are two sides to that coin, like most things, right? There's definitely, uh, positively, there are more games being produced because of Kickstarter than ever before. Game designers are coming up with cool ideas. Artists that aren't, you know, in a stable, you know, under an art director in some big company are able to get their work out there and publish as part of these projects. It's, it's a real net win for creators in that space. There's an argument to be made on the other side that because of this glut or this, you know, gold rush to Kickstarter for game designers, a lot of these games aren't great. Uh, a lot of these okay. games are kind of low quality. A lot of these games are kind of ripoffs of other games or maybe not so good because for every person out there with a passion and a dream and this game that they've wanted to do since they were in high school doodling on their notebook, there's another couple of people out there looking at it and saying like, oh man, look at this game thing. It's number two on Kickstarter. Let's slap something together really cheaply and put it out there, make a good commercial and rake in a million bucks. 
just because there's $200 million in games being spent on games doesn't mean that all those games are very good. And I've gotten, I've gotten caught with that too. Like there's okay. some games on my shelf, although I've, I've been trying to clean things out and, and sell things, but games that I looked at, I loved the art and I thought the premise was cool and I got it. And I was like, Oh, this is garbage. Like they didn't, the type is six point font on the cards. You can't read it. Like the cutting is kind of crooked and stuff. It was just cheaply made and a little bit disappointing. So, yeah. how, how many would you say? Just a guess, if you just off the top of your head without thinking too too hard about your hundred and sixty two, whatever that number ended up being in games. Yeah. Oh, one forty two. I'm sorry, one forty two. Whatever number that was in games. Off the top of your head, how many of those would have been? Well, so I can tell you. Again, to clue you into the type of nerd that I am, when I back a Kickstarter, I put that project on a Trello board. And so there's the column for pending. When I back one, I put it on there. The next column is delivered. When it finally shows up, I move it over to the delivered column. And then I have the next column is I actually used it or played the game or it went well. And then the next column is failed or completely disappointed. Okay. Right. So in the failed canceled disappointment column uh not canceled i didn't i didn't put canceled kickstarters like that i didn't ever pay for but things that i paid for that i was then disappointed with there are there are four in that column the column that is a problem is the column where it's been delivered but i've not actually used it or played with it okay there we go That's the column. (laughs) That is the problem (laughs) where I think about, ooh, this is why I need to stop playing Kickstarter. There are quite a few in that column. Would you say Uh, over a dozen? Yes. Okay. (laughs) You don't have to tell the full number. That's okay. Over 20. Okay. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. And I'll get to them eventually. And because they're on the list, it's it's sort of a goal, right? Get that out. Make sure you liked it. Move it on over and then gift it or sell it or something like that because continue to play it if you love it yeah it's not lighting my brain on fire anymore like it was when i saw that kickstarter video for whatever reason it's just been kind of sitting there so you have lots of gaming in your futures maybe maybe a um nerd best friend live stream game try maybe not someday we'll have nerd best friend con and we'll it'll just be this Heck great yes. board gaming comic book convention for all of our friends. And they'll, and there'll be giveaways. There oh, you, you go. like that game? Here you go. <laughs> have it, have it, have it. Very I good. get it out of here. Well, I will say, um, I've mentioned a couple of times now I'm novice. And I think I even mentioned in one of the previous episodes that I have invested in some things that have not been on Kickstarter. And what comes to my mind is I think we both invested in a, a shoelaces they were called Expand Lace or Lace Expand. I can't remember what they were called. I Those remember were Kickstarter, weren't they? I think you funded it on Kickstarter. I went directly to their website. I found it through mm-hmm. a link on their website. So that is something Kickstarter has also changed a little bit on how smaller businesses can do business. I do think they weren't Kickstarter. I know I did not. I did not create an account on Kickstarter to fund that project. Yep, there they are. Expand Laces. Expand Laces. <laughs> yes, I actually still have mine in the package. I never used them. So... One of these days I will use them. That company, actually, you can find that product now in bigger stores. So that that's that's a great example there of that. But point on this is there are companies and businesses and other websites that now have appeared to help this with this crowdsourcing funding. Patreon is one that comes to, to, to mind. I know you and I both listen to podcasts on Patreon, and that's one where you can get extended content or content early if you are a backer. I know Indiegogo. I believe a lot more of the music and music 
musicians have kind of shifted over to Indiegogo for one reason or another. I've used GoFundMe. Absolutely. I, I went on a trip to China when I was working on my doctorate and needed a little bit of financial help because I was a full-time student and I used GoFundMe for that. I've definitely donated to GoFundMe accounts for people I know and even sometimes just random because that's one of my Trello board for 2021 is mm-hmm. to make 21 donations. I think of a small business model. I am a an investor and a big fan of a company called Dapper Boy. They are completely crowdfunding. And I believe that company did start on Kickstarter. They started with a pair of jeans four or five years ago at this point. And it's clothing made for maybe more androgynous male females. It's really clothing for anybody. And all of their projects start at a crowdfunding level. So, hey, we're going to make these hoodies. Here's the sizes. Here's the colors. Here's the information. Here's the sizing chart. If you buy them now, they are $39. Once we get to, we hit our goal and we know we're going to make them, they're going to go to $59. And when they hit our website, they're going to be $79. It's along those lines, a lot for a hoodie. Maybe that was a bad example, but um, their jeans Not these start. these days. Yeah, it's you true. Want <laughs> you want quality. Uh, yep. Their jeans start at like 39 or 49. They go to 79 and they're like, they're like 129 by the time they get to the website. So Kickstarter, I, I believe to my knowledge was the first in this type of crowdsourcing that now allows more people to come to the table without needing the big box store backing in order to exist. And that's really exciting for me as a novice Kickstarter, talking about those algorithms that you mentioned. I know I've mentioned it in a couple episodes. You have gifted me now two games that we are still waiting for, which is totally fine. Uh, That's a whole nother topic is shipping, (laughs) which we'll get to next. The Dark Tower, which is a remake of a 1980s game that I grew up playing and watched the adults in my family play for a while. And the second one is a Scooby-Doo game that we are still waiting for. So somewhere in that algorithm, you send me, you forward me the updates from the Dark Tower game on the bottom, have those you might also be interested in. And I usually scroll them. I'm like, oh, that's some really cool stuff. And I never look. For some reason, one of the last ones that you sent and forwarded me via email had a suggestion for a game called Skeptics. I mentioned it last episode as the nerdiest thing I did that week. I backed that game and we'll see if it comes May of 22, but that was what I really appreciated about, about Kickstarter. I created my account to back that game and I really like how it made it less intimidating for someone like me, who's not as versed in board games to go. I think I could play this and understand how to play it without needing much more help. So that was really helpful in terms of Kickstarter and how that idea of crowdsourcing has changed how people like me as a novice can purchase and participate in more games. And are you finding like when you backed it and you're watching all these updates thing as they gain funding, are you getting all these like, are you getting all the extras? Because that's one thing the board game companies do really well. Like if this game ever comes out and you go to your hobby store and get it, it's going to be just this box. But because you were a Kickstarter backer, you're going to get the box, but you're also going to get the stickers and you're also going to get this extra miniature and you're also going to get, you know, the book with your name in it and those kinds of things. So this, exciting. 
it's it's exciting for Love other it. it's, it's exciting so for stupid. other reasons though like um this one in particular doesn't fall in that category that you mentioned because the first time it went through kickstarter it failed it did not make it its goal and then they, something happened they updated the game they got a, a a box version of it out of their own pockets i don't remember exactly what happened but they brought it back up had better videos had better information about it like i said they had the unboxing of a prototype by the time i caught on it was maybe 48 hours to go and they had exceeded their goal. So by the time I signed on and backed it at the level that gets me a version of the game, they had already unlocked all these extra things. So I, I didn't sit there and go like, sweet, we get this now. Sweet, we get this now. It was like already all included. I will say the only thing that's really going to be unique about buying it this way versus in a store is that I have option in the post Kickstarter campaign, which is the backer kit. I will have right. option to add some extras of dice so that when people play, they can have their own set. It only comes with a singular set in the box. So that would be the one thing that's unique to being part of the, uh, being a backer on Kickstarter is that I have that opportunity for the, those extra pieces, but all of the add-ons as they made their goals was all about um, upping the game and adding more characters to the game. So that's going to be included even if you buy that in the store. We will see if the pendulum begins to swing the other way because of the difficulties in shipping during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, as that is definitely still going on here, and especially in some of those Asian countries where a lot of this work is outsourced, could also be another criticism of a lot of these companies a lot of these game designers are in north america and are in western europe and all of them outsource all their factory work to places like china for the cheap labor and things like that but those factories have been shut down and those factories have been having major delays and shipping has been a major delay as well and if you want your stuff to get done and you want it on a boat the prices have tripled over the last year i haven't backed a physical product since february or april this year which i mean that wasn't a long time ago but for me that's a long time ago and a lot of it has to do with looking at that and being like oh maybe i just need a pdf instead of the book or maybe i just want to get you know something else that's already exists because i know that okay i'm gonna back it for x amount of dollars but when that backer kit comes out i'm gonna get an email that says oh we're so sorry there's nothing we can do the shipping is just outrageous i know you spent 120 dollars on this thing but we're gonna charge 200 dollars to your card because your board game has to come from china it becomes not worth it right that kind of surprise at the end or that knowledge and i one of the last ones that i backed is is like a big heavy piece of furniture and they were very upfront about like, this is going to be super expensive to ship. And in fact, we're not shipping it to these different countries or places because oh, wow. the shipping would be more than the thing costs in the first place. Wow. So that might start putting people off. So as much as it grew, that spike, I believe, is going to start coming down. Because if you're an independent creator and you're thinking about this game, but you know it's going to cost people double you know, what you want to charge anyway because of shipping you might wait on that, right? Like I know, I think I would like, eh, maybe this is a 2025 release. We'll just hang on to this and then, you know, make people happy with it later on instead of getting everybody angry about shipping. Going back to the idea of dice, mm -hmm. how many dice sets have you backed on Kickstarter average? Because I know you have a lot. I'm waiting for one, two, three... <laughs> 
I'm waiting for three that I've okay. recently backed that haven't arrived yet. I mean, around, I think I probably have in my possession around 10 okay. sets of different dice. Some of them are like dice sets though. So it might've come with six sets, but I'm counting it as one because it was all on the same sure. Kickstarter. Sure. So we'll say about 10 dice Kickstarters, many more sets included. And if you're talking to someone who's a novice like me, have you found those those projects to be successful versus walking into a store and buying a set based off the color or the artwork? I don't know what the difference is. There's okay. a difference in my head somehow okay. where there's a difference if I see them all online and I see the cool video and I'm getting those emails of like, this is what the mold looks like. And this is how we powder coat them. And this is how we mix in the sparklies with the resin to cast it. And this is what, you know, somehow that's just better. You have brought that up a couple times and and you're making me remember some of those emails about Dark Tower that you've sent, how excited I was when they sent, hey, look, this is the first prototype of the working tower. It was very bare bones, but oh my gosh, they have it working and look at it turn and look at it do this thing and look at- The motor's all loud and there's wires- from yeah. batteries on the desk and everything. No, yeah, nowhere it's near cool. what the final project's going to be, but it was the guts of it. And like, this is how it's going to do this. And this is how it's going to do this. And this is where we ran into a problem. So we had to do this. I mean, that is is so much more nerdy and exciting than walking into a store and saying, hey, this game looks good. Let me try it at home. So you're not just backing a product on Kickstarter, you're, you're backing that experience, right? You're backing that being part of it experience, which is appealing for nerds because we we can be nerds as a hobby and I can spend probably too much time in my hobby. But at the end of the day, I'm not a game designer. I'm not a professional like role player on a Twitch stream. Like that's not my day job. My day job is my day job. But with my hobby now, not only can I just get this product and kind of sit and look at it, I'm somehow a part of the team, right? And I'm getting all that info that I've never gotten before. The other thing about this is, I don't need those things now. Like I don't need a set of dice right now. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go play a game and I don't have any dice. Yeah, good point. I got a million dice, but look at this new idea for dice and look at this cool artwork and look at this, you know, cool box that it comes in and that kind of stuff. It's a, it's their luxury items. And that feeling of, wow, I got a new toy is extended sometimes for a year right? With all of those updates and things. And I think for nerds and for the gaming industry, I think that's a big part of it. And I really like how, I mean, we'll bring up your son again. I believe he's used his allowance or his savings over time to back a couple of projects that I would have never heard of. And the pandemic has kept us from being able to have one of these games together. But He invested in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that had some ridiculous amount of miniatures. And I also believe he was given or helped invest in some sort of Batman game. The Batman game was a gift. He did the uh, Marvel United. And he's done now their follow-up, which is the X-Men United. (laughs) And he has this brilliant boy of mine. He was able to come up with his own business plan, his own Kickstarter where uh, he's convinced me to match him on these products. So (laughs) (laughs) so he's either, he'll either go in on the base game and then then we'll look through all the cool add-ons and stuff and I'll pay for all the add-ons and whatever we want to make. Or if it's a more expensive one and we just want everything, he's convinced me to wait. Well, I know you want this too, dad. All back half and you can match (laughs) me the other half. He's gotcha. uh, 
he's got me because sure enough. But he but for some of the smaller uh, for some of the smaller projects, he's definitely backed some some books, some source books, and um, he'll choose like he'll look through and be like, mm, I think I can get away with just a PDF on that one, twenty bucks, or like, oh no, that's going to be really nice. I want those physical maps and I want that book and I'll pay extra for it. Like he's in it too. That Ninja Turtle game is, I've seen versions of you and your family playing it on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's a really cool game. It's super fun. The minis are great. It has just tons of different adventures and things. It's not, it's not too hard. It's cooperative, which is great for the family, right? We, we play both, but I, I like the working together cooperative games for, for our family games. Yeah. I don't regret that purchase. At all. That's a great system. So if I asked you what your favorite Kickstarter project you've backed has been so far that you've received, let's go there, that you've received. That Ninja Turtle one is really good. It's pr- it's it's produced hours and hours and hours of fun for us, right? Because okay. hours of fun painting minis, and then we're going through, like, we like it enough. We're committed. We're going to go through every scenario and all five of those boxes or whatever, and we nice. get it done. So that has been actually a really positive one. Plus, it was fun for Andrew to be part of the part of the fun and get the big boxes. And, you know, of course, they've got his name on them. So FedEx rolls them up on a hand truck and they all say Andrew on them and he goes and opens them and does his little unboxing. So that was really fun. I actually think I was, I think they were received pre-pandemic. I remember being at your house when that box arrived and we waited for Andrew to come home from like summer camp, whatever it was he was doing at the time and watched him open up. And I remember seeing just box after box after box of all of these pieces. So that was exciting for me just to see. And I knew nothing about it. The other one that I found that I would say is probably one of my, one of my favorites is, and I've back four, five of their games now is a company called Mythic. That is a French company. All of their design work and stuff is done in French and then translated to English, but they have incredible miniatures, whatever sculptor they use just has these really detailed, realistic fantasy, uh, you know, they're not kind of, they're not cartoony or smooth, right? They, they're, they're great sculpts. They've done Conan. They've done Mythic Battles Pantheon, which is like Greek heroes, gods, and monsters. They've done Mythic Battles Ragnarok, which is uh, Norse monsters and gods and things. And they've done Batman. They're coming up with like season three of their Batman game. Their system for all of these games is kind of the same. Like it's the same basic system and it's a good system. It's fun. It can be as detailed and complicated as you want. But once you get into the rhythm, you're just kind of doing your basic things and you're doing a little skirmish. You're moving your minis around and you're playing your cards and you're rolling your dice. It's, it's, it's a combination uh, miniature skirmish game and press your luck dice game where you know you can do a bunch of re-rolls but be careful because you might end up wasting all your resources and stuff the minis look great and the gameplay is fun so as soon as i got the first one was conan as soon as i got that conan game and they came out with the next one and the next one i'm like i i need the next one because i know it's going to be fun and i know the minis are going to be epic I think I've actually also watched you play play one of those during the pandemic where you set up a bunch of cameras with another one of our friends who had the same game, who set yes. up cameras, and then you did you did each other's moves so you could play while being at each other's at your own houses. And then I just sat in and watched. I do I think that was one of those games in my in my I think yep. it was the- yeah, absolutely. that was uh Pantheon. Pantheon, yeah. 
I mean, to me, those would have looked too intimidating in a store, but if I had seen them on Kickstarter with all the information it comes with, would have been one that I might've considered. So that's where Kickstarter is really helpful. Do you have a least favorite that you have received? And maybe without throwing anybody under the bus, uh, under the bus, but. Yeah, it would be that one that I mentioned earlier. It was called Kingdom, the Angelic War card game. And it was billed as a card, like a card game, like a versus two player, like a dual card game where you were different factions of angels and demons, like fallen angels or heroic angels, like an extended fiction based on Judeo-Christian angels, right? So it was Gabriel and, you know, the angels and there were demons and stuff. And looking at the case chart, it looked like it was going to be pretty cool. Like a, a card system, a versus card system. There's a million of them out there. They all kind of work the same, whether it's Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic the Gathering or Epic or whatever it might be. So I wasn't too worried about the gameplay. But what I really thought was cool was it was a unique take. Like I don't have any other games like in that mythos and the art was going to be super cool right it was a lot of like sketch drawing with swaths of color think like uh frank miller sin city where it's like the black and white heavy inking but then like if anything's red the red is on the page and things like that and i was and it looked like it was going to be cool and it finally arrived and it was it was that one i was talking about earlier the the font for no Uh reason was so small you couldn't read it there was plenty of real estate it was just like a printing error that they just decided not to fix the cards once they were like cut you could tell like they were kind of off in some places when you lined up the deck like it wasn't exactly right Mm. it was just it was a low quality disappointment (laughs) that's that's that was a disappointment maybe unknowing less of a game issue and more of the funds maybe weren't spent to make to ensure a quality product Mm -hmm. before we go on to the next part of our episode i want to just mention to be completely transparent neither of us are sponsored by any of these products or any of these campaigns or games or kickstarter itself we are purely talking as rob and i would as friends and wanting to share this conversation i felt like that was important to note rob what is the nerdiest thing you did this week i had the privilege and chore of playing in five different dungeons and dragons games five days in a row this week very nice uh it was, it was like I was going to work. It was like a week's worth of work. It was, <laughs> it was great, but also like, oh man, again? Okay, where's the, <laughs> which one is this? So where did and we start on that? Some of those you yeah. are the DM and some of those you are a player, right? Right. So I run more games than I play, but I am lucky that I do get to play in some because a lot of game masters out there know that once you start, you're kind of the forever game master. And <laughs> if you want to play, you got to run a game because none of those other jerks are going to do it. But, <laughs> I'm one of those yeah, jerks. So. We played Ghosts of Saltmarsh on Saturday. I ran Ghosts of Saltmarsh on Saturday. I played in Curse of Strahd on Sunday. I ran Princes of the Apocalypse on Monday. I played in a homebrew game that my son ran for the our little father-son's group. And then I ran our homebrew Wednesday night game all in a row. Sounds like it was at least well planned out that you didn't have to run two games in a row, that you had a day off just to play in between. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 how it's supposed to be sure, <laughs> set sure. up. I've, I've kind of done that on purpose as far as like, okay, I know I run on Saturday. I 
play on Sunday and I run on Monday. And then usually I run on Wednesday. On a regular week, it's still four games a week. Although you've started to schedule that a, a little bit more wiser for your family's sake and not having games every that's week. Right. But, but I messed right. up this week. That's what that's what actually happened is I try uh, to make, okay, if I'm doing the Monday game, I don't do the Wednesday. And then the next week I'll do the Wednesday, not the Monday. Somehow I messed up the calendar and did both this week. So that's how I got to every night. <laughs> that's pretty Sorry, intense, everybody. five days. What's the nerdiest thing you're going to do next week? The, uh, the next nerdiest thing I'm going to do, dig through and unpack all the miniatures that are in that giant Reaper 5 box <laughs> that just came and group them and categorize them and bag them up and probably put them in a little labeled storage container so that when I need them, I can sort of be a little more organizational. And after that, I'm going on vacation for a week. Nice. So we'll see what nerdy things I might find while I'm away from home. Well, you know, it's going to, you're going to have some nerd stories to tell when you come back. All right. So how about you? What did you do? The nerdiest thing I did this week, I mean, I could put D&D that I play on that Wednesday night game that you, you brought, but I'm going to say in the last couple of days, I've done what I'll call the great graphic novel catch up. You as my best friend have been really great at getting me great graphic novels for holidays, birthdays, whatever. And there's some that I started and never finished. There's some that I finished, but it's been a long time since I've read them. I probably reread three or four and I read through some that I hadn't been able to read yet, including one that I picked up when I was in Portland recently. Joe Hill, of course, being a Stephen King fan also follow Joe Hill. The um, Lock and Key was a, was a really great series. I have not watched on Netflix yet, but I hear it's wonderful. I read Basketful of Heads, which is a great collection and a nice story that was wrapped up and enjoyed reading that. I also have on my, on my shelf to reread the first four of the new version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, since you just gave me the fifth one, fifth graphic novel for my birthday. I'm going to reorient myself because it's been a while. I, I, I just did a lot of reading. I'm on vacation. I'm not working the next couple of weeks. So I took some time to read graphic novels. Well, that is the best time is when you're on vacation catching up on your nerd stuff which leads- you uh feel like you want to you know do something nerdy uh next week and and paint 3d printed dungeon tiles and things boy do i have boxes upon boxes for you. well we are both vaccinated i will come over whenever you want and do some basic painting I've, i did that in some of your um p- your dungeon pieces before when we were thinking about doing the stranger things game I have a little bit of experience and I'd be happy to help. That could be the nerdiest thing I do next week, depending on uh, on your time and whether or not it matches up with time I'm available. The other thing is I have to catch up on my MCU. I have mm. started WandaVision, but the plan is to watch WandaVision, then the Winter Falcon, Soldier, Winter Soldier and the Falcon movie. That's a series or a movie? It's a two-part series? series? It's a series. It, okay. It is a series. Although if I ever watch it again, I'm going to watch them like all together as one big long movie and see if it makes any more sense. Which maybe I might be pretty scattered. <laughs> and I might be, you're right. And you mentioned that to me the other day as well. I might binge them to watch them all in a, in a, in a bulk, then Loki, mm-hmm. then Black Widow. So yeah. That's Black Widow has made stuff. so much money. It has disrupted the watch at home day and day release industry, but none of my friends have watched it yet. <laughs> All I want to do is talk about Black Widow. Soon, my friend, we will be mm-hmm. able to have a discussion, hopefully before you go on vacation, because that, that's my break this week is to watch a lot of MCU-oriented stuff over on Disney+. Plus. So speaking of nerdy stuff, our next episode, you want to talk about what we're going to be covering? 
So I, you might be uh, one. <laughs> you might be the one to talk about this. My son called you to give a suggestion for an episode and also to try to weasel his way onto the show himself. We recently, you know, of course, as any good parent or mentor does, you have a list of all the influential and important movies that you want to show your child or, or young people. And I certainly have been going through a ton of the movies, a lot of the ones we talked about in uh, a couple episodes ago. But we recently watched The Matrix and we were talking about the plot of The Matrix and we were looking at it. One of the one of the wonderful things that I like spending time with uh, with my family doing is we definitely watch movies and TV shows and everything critically, right? We look at it, but then we'll dissect the plot and we'll look at what the symbolism is and these kinds of things. And as he was recapping the plot, He's going through the matrix and he goes, this is the Lego movie. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, is that right? He's kind of like, this is the Lego movie. He goes, you guys should do a podcast on how the matrix is just the Lego movie. I was like, well, the matrix came first. So the Lego movie is like... (laughs) Did he call you or did he text you? He like, texted right me. Away. Yeah. It, is, it is probably the most phenomenal text that I've ever received from a 12-year-old. Very, very proper and very purposefully suggestive on this episode. And, and I'm into it. I actually have not seen the Lego movie. I will watch it between now and the recording of the next episode. I'm interested in, excited to have him on the show for the first of a few guest experiences. We know, I know... We have some ideas on some input we'd like from him around a few piece around a few pieces like the masks game, who which he ran for us and one other person. And I'm really excited. This is going to be an episode movie comparison number one. I imagine we are going to have plenty of these over the course of the podcast, and this is going to be the first. Absolutely. Into the Spider-Verse and Cars 3. Same movie. I think they came out the same year. Interesting. Really interesting. I actually have not seen Cars 3. So let me just, I'm going to interrupt here. There's a lot that I don't see. Our jobs as educators are very busy. In particular, a couple of years ago, I became an assistant principal. So my time is a little wonky. And sometimes I don't, oftentimes I don't have time to to watch some of these things. So that's what I spend my vacation time on is, is these types of things. You also haven't had an eight to now 12 year old boy in your house driving these things. True. And that's why <laughs> I was 20 years importance. late to the Harry Potter world too, right? I didn't have a, a young kid reading those, reading those books at the time they were popular. So no shame on my behalf, very busy job, but also I love now having even bigger reason than just to sit and watch a movie. I'm going to be taking notes while I watch the Lego movie. So next episode, movie comparison number one, The Matrix and The Lego Movie with a special guest star. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook at NerdBestFriends, on Twitter at NerdBestFriends. You can email us, Gmail, it's NerdBestFriends, all spelled out, at gmail.com and find the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. You did such an amazing job with that this week. Episode four. We're finally getting the hang of it. Well, It's going to take take a little while, but yes. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will be back with you next week. See you next time, everybody. Thank you. really funny is like every time we want to start i want to do the wayne's world in five four (laughs) and then i always start cracking up so